Yeah, and FCA does really incredible work. So if you are interested or this piques your interest at all, go speak to Jeff after the service out in the lobby. Uh, but today we get to continue our series in uh, Nehemiah, Rise and Build. Uh, in this series, we've been taking a look at the book of Nehemiah and looking at uh, this, this daunting task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, and today we are going to be finishing chapter 2 of Nehemiah. So if you do have your Bibles, open them up to Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, and we're going to be sitting in there for a good chunk of the morning. But you know, something that's interesting is on May 10th, 1940, Winston Churchill was elected the Prime Minister of England. And, and soon after, it would be his role and his duty to unite his country when Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich looked towards England. And even in the darkest days of World War II, as Hitler's bombers are striking uh, English cities during the Blitz, day after day, it was Churchill's voice that could be heard on the radio, rallying his people, motivating his people. And, and in one of these, these speeches, this is something he said. He said, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all of its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. This was their finest hour. And today we are finishing Nehemiah chapter 2 and we find him approaching that finest hour. You see, for, for Nehemiah, the battle that he has been in, the battle that he's been facing has been invisible. I mean, Nehemiah has been praying for months, seen a king support him. But now this battle is going to become more visible. I mean, this battle is no longer going to be waged in a prayer closet or in a king's court. But it's going to be out in the open where everyone can see. And even though Nehemiah's message, even though it, it, was, it was given 2,200 years earlier, is very similar to Churchill's. His refusal to surrender to the enemy his willingness to push forward even in the face of opposition. And something that we're going to find today in Nehemiah chapter 2 is that Nehemiah is going to find the painful truth that with opportunity, there's opposition. And that's the bottom line this morning. The bottom line, that one thing I want us to come to, to, come to terms with and, and, and be ready for is with opportunity, there is often opposition. I know some of you might be thinking, like, Adam, that's not the most encouraging bottom line. And it's not, but it's, it's a reality. It's a reality that we have to be ready for. It's a reality that we have to be prepared for. But the question is, is will you let the opposition stop the opportunity? And today, we're going to see how Nehemiah sorts this out. And before we jump into Nehemiah chapter 2, I just want to give you a quick, you know, like cliff notes recap of what is happening in the life of Nehemiah. Uh, so Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, and he was like his right-hand man. And Nehemiah found out that the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins. 
that the, the gates have been burned by fire, that they're destroyed. And this brought Nehemiah grief, and he prayed for months on this. And one day the king noticed that Nehemiah was upset. So the king asked him, you know, what's wrong? And Nehemiah told him, said, the place where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins. So he asked the king, can I go and build the walls? And can I also get lumber to help this mission? And, and King Artaxerxes said yes. And this is where we're picking it up today. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting at verse 9. This is what it says. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me, except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet, I said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Will you join me as we open up in prayer? Father, we are so grateful that we have the ability to gather here like this, to worship you, to praise your name. And Lord, I am so grateful for the opportunities that you have laid before us. And Lord, I pray that you give us the strength, even in the opposition that we might face. And Lord, I am so grateful for your word, so grateful that we have the ability to read it, to study it. And Lord, I pray today as, as we open up your word and you allow me to speak as you give me the breath to speak, I pray you give me the words to speak. Lord, do not let me say anything that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence continues to shape and continues to change our lives. Lord, let us be representatives of you. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, I love how verse 9 starts. So I went. So I went. I mean, Nehemiah made this 800-mile journey from Persia to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, he spent time praying. He had wisdom. He had a plan. He had a vision. He had faith. And you see, there are some people who have a heart like Nehemiah. You know, they, they spend time in prayer. They have the wisdom. They, they have the vision, the plan. They have faith. But somewhere along the line, they stop short of actually doing it. You know, sometimes we can substitute talking about it. We're actually doing it. But not Nehemiah here. So I went. 
So I put this plan into action. And this mission, this plan, this battle is no longer just going to be in a prayer closet or in a king's court. But it's time for action. It's time to move forward. So Nehemiah begins to put this plan into action. And as he's putting this plan into action, there was opposition. I mean, we see it in verse 10. Sanballat and Tobiah, they were disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I mean, it seems like day one, Nehemiah is already facing opposition. Seems like day one. But notice here, this opposition that Nehemiah is facing, like right at the beginning, it came at the doing stage. Like, like notice here how, how the opposition that Nehemiah is facing didn't, came, didn't come at the prayer stage. It didn't come at the vision stage. It didn't come at the planning stage, but it came at the doing stage. As soon as he started doing something, that's when the opposition came. You see, friends, the enemy doesn't care about how much we talk about doing something. I mean, he cares when we start doing something. Like, the enemy doesn't really care how many meetings we sit in and talk about doing something, but as soon as we start doing something, be ready for opposition. You know, but even in this opposition, look at what Nehemiah does in verse 11. He says, I went to Jerusalem. Now, real quick, I went to Jerusalem. Like, we, we, we have this opposition here in verse 10, and then in verse 11, he's like, I went to Jerusalem. Like, I'm still moving forward with this plan. I'm not going to let the opposition dictate what the Lord has called me to do. I went to Jerusalem. What he says, I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no amounts with me except the one I was riding on. So Nehemiah, he, he makes his way to Jerusalem, and he spends three days there, but doesn't tell anyone why he was there. Like, this is, this is the last thing you would expect, right? Like, like, like Nehemiah, you, like, Nehemiah has permission from the king. He has the resources to do the work. He has the financing to do the work. He makes his 800-mile journey, but for three days, didn't tell anyone why he was there. Like, you, you would expect it, Nehemiah, like, show up, like, unload the trailer, you know, hire subcontractors, get the backhoe to start digging footings, you know, like, let's build some walls. Like, this is something that grieved Nehemiah for months. He spent so much time in prayer. He made this journey. He has permission from the king. But he shows up, and for three days, he doesn't say anything. He didn't tell anyone why he's there. Doesn't start building. And, you know, we might be tempted to ask the question, like, what's the holdup, Nehemiah? Like, like why, why wait? Like, you have a God-given mission, something that grieved you. You know, you made this journey. Why wait? But you see, the Israelites, like, they weren't waiting for some hero to come in and build these walls. Like, these Israelites, they've been accustomed to this, these ruins for hundreds of years, for a hundred years. Like, like they, they had given up hope. They had grown accustomed to this cycle and history of failure and defeat. So even though Nehemiah showed up in town and for three days said nothing, that doesn't mean he was doing nothing. Three days of waiting and, and no doubt, three days of prayer. And then one night he, he wakes up to go take a closer look at the conditions of the wall. And look, look what he says in verse 13. He says, by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal, or toward the jackal well, and the dung gate, 
examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down in its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. So Nehemiah wakes up and he decides to, to take a midnight ride. While the city sleeps, this burdened man inspects the damage. And he inspects the walls. And this word for inspect is a Hebrew verb that, that means to like carefully observe. And I mean, it's, it can also be like a, a medical word. It could be used to like examine a wound, determine the damage, but also the next steps that are necessary for healing to take place. So, so Nehemiah is taking this honest, critical look at the walls. He's inspecting the walls. And, and I, I want to ask the question, if we inspected our lives, what would we find? Like, if we, if we took this, this honest look at our lives, our relationships, our friendships, our, our biz, busyness, and we took an honest look at it, like, what would we find? Because Nehemiah, like, he didn't, he didn't just focus on all the things right with Jerusalem. Like, he didn't, he didn't focus on, like, hey, we're back from exile. This is awesome. You know, we're back in God's holy city. You know, the temple's been built. There's some progress. Like, no, he was, he was critical. He took this honest look. Because, friends, if we only look at the good, it is very easy to deceive ourselves. You know, like, something that we can learn from Nehemiah is, is that we must take a look at the broken down walls. We must inspect them. We must study them in order to rebuild them, in order to move forward. Don't just get caught up and, and, and obsessed with the things that are good, but, but to take a look at the problems. Take a look at the broken down walls and inspect, observe, move forward. I mean, this is exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He's inspecting the walls. And, and it's something that you, you'll notice. If we had a map of Jerusalem and we follow Nehemiah's midnight ride, all the places that he went, something you'll notice is he only toured the southern part of Jerusalem. I mean, he never went north. He only toured the southern part. You see, Nehemiah didn't need to see the whole city to take the next step. He only needed to take that first step. Nehemiah only needed to see that something needed to be done in order to move forward. And like the same is true with this building project that, that we're about to come in. You know, like we want all of the information. We want day by day, step by step, phase by phase. We want all of the information. But what we need is the willingness to move forward. What we need is the willingness to take the next step. The willingness to take that first step. Like Nehemiah didn't have all the information but he didn't need it in order to take the first step. You see, the people of, of Nehemiah's day, like they were not sitting around waiting for, for someone to build these walls. This was a hundred-year problem. And, and years ago, someone tried to rebuild the walls, and it was stopped. So they just kind of like lived with it. They didn't push forward. And like the same thing with this building project that we're coming into. Maybe you heard about it this morning. Maybe you heard about it last week, maybe a month ago. And you're like, ah, oh, like LifePoint's doing something new. But the thing is, like, this isn't something new. I mean, this, is, this goes all the way back to 2019. 
Like this has been thought through and prayed over. And then yeah, COVID hit, some stuff got put on hold. There was an opposition, but the thing was, we're not just gonna live with it. And we're gonna push forward. We're not gonna let the opposition stand in the way with what the Lord has called us to do. And this is exactly what Nehemiah is doing. Like they tried rebuilding the walls and it got stopped. But he wasn't gonna let that stop what God had placed on his heart to do. So look at what he does in verse 17. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and, no, and, we, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So Nehemiah finally breaks that, that, that silence and he tells the people why he's here. And he speaks to the people. He had to. You see, something Nehemiah knew is that this is not a Nehemiah show. But that it is the people of Jerusalem coming together and they are essential and critical to making this work happen. And the same is true with this building project. Like it is not a Pastor John project. It is not a Pastor Adam project. It is, it is not a church staff project. It is not a board of trustees project. It's an us project. It is an us project that is going to expand the ministry of LifePoint and bring more people to a saving faith in Christ. It's not about a building. It's about a mission. So Nehemiah, he, he speaks to the people to get them behind it. And like the same thing is with this building project. Like we all have a role to play. Like we all have a role in this. And, and yeah, our roles are probably gonna look a little different but we all have a role to play. This is an us project. You know, maybe, maybe someone supports it, someone gives to it, someone prays over it. So some, someone volunteers their time when it's needed. Like it's a us project. Us coming together are essential to making this happen. And Nehemiah knew this. Nehemiah knew that wasn't a Nehemiah project, but that it was a us project. So he comes to the people and he tells them, he finally breaks his silence, and, and he is brutally honest with them. Like, that's something I love about Nehemiah. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't start by saying, like, you know, I've seen the walls. Like, they're not too bad. Like, no, what he says is, like, you see the trouble we're in? Like, he doesn't overlook the problems, but he wasn't overwhelmed by the problems. He was real. He was honest. He says it's trouble. Jerusalem is in ruins. The gates have been burned by fire. So he says, Come. Let us rebuild the wall. And if you notice the verbiage throughout verse, verse 17 and 18, like he uses the words, we and us. Like, like you know, we and us, because he knew that these people were coming together were essential to making this happen. He uses we and us. You know, friend, if you want to discourage someone who is hitting those bumpy parts of life, you know what you say? You say, you are a mess. You need to figure it out. Like, I'll work every time. But if you want to encourage someone, you say, like, hey, this is a mess. Like, how do we get through it? You know, just telling them that they're not alone, that you're with them through it. Let us rebuild the wall. Like, Nehemiah believed that if God could move in the heart of a pagan king, that he could move in the heart of his own people. He says, let us rebuild the wall. You know, you can imagine this scene. Nehemiah finally breaking this silence and, and using these phrases like we and us because Nehemiah wasn't going to do the work 
for them. He was going to do the work with them. That they were going to come together and do this noble work. And look at Nehemiah's reason, his motivation to build these walls. At the end of verse 17, he says, so that we will no longer be in disgrace. See, Nehemiah's motivation was not, hey, let's build these walls so that we'll be safe from invaders. Like, let's build these walls so that we'll be like the other cities. And he says, let us build the walls so we will no longer be in disgrace. And the word here for disgrace, maybe in your translation it says reproach, means to speak down to someone or, or to speak ill of someone's character. So what Nehemiah is saying here, he says, you know, like, let us build the wall so that we, the people of God, will be representatives of him so that the people around us cannot speak poorly of our character. Let us represent God in the best way that we can. See, friends, the book of Nehemiah is not about a wall. It's not about brick and and mortar. But it's about removing the insecurity and shame amongst God's people. And yes, that work involved bricks and mortar. Yes, that work involved a wall, but it had a far deeper spiritual impact. His motivation was let us be representatives of God. You know, when David saw Goliath mocking the armies of Israel, you know, yelling at God's people. David said, is this not a cause? You know, while everyone else was sitting there trying to count the odds and and wondering what the cost would be, David's like, let's get the work done. And I'm willing for God to use me to do it. You see, friend, the greatest motivation as a Christ follower, the greatest motivation is the desire to bring glory and honor to God. Like the greatest motivation is the desire to bring glory and honor to the reputation of God whom you Christian represent here on earth. Now, will your boss pay you for your honesty? Probably not. Like will will your classmates praise you for your purity? Probably not. You know, will you get a bonus for your character? Probably not. But the motivation to bring glory and honor to God is the greatest motivation as a Christ follower, to represent God to the best of our ability. And this is, what mo- this is the motivation that Nehemiah uses to motivate the people. And look at how he continues in verse 18. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. See, Nehemiah is saying that this is not a his project. This is a God's project. He's telling him about the gracious hand of God on him and what the king had said. I mean, you can imagine like this scene. Like Nehemiah is saying, like, God is with us. He's prepared the way. He has turned the heart of a king. He has supplied our financial need. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten about his holy city. Like, I know you've lived in these ruins for, you know, a hundred years now with all these broken down walls. Maybe you feel like God doesn't care about you, but I want you to know that God has been favorable to me. He's at work in my life and he's at work now. So, so the people's response was, let us build. Let us start rebuilding. Let us, let us rise and build. Like, you know, they could have said, you know, like, hey, we've survived without these walls for a hundred years now. Like, we're fine. Or they could have said, hey, Nehemiah, like, that's fine work, but we're busy. You know, I hope that goes well for you. You know, they could have said, like, hey, wait, Nehemiah, like, this, it's useless to do this because last time our enemy stopped us. Like, no, they said, let us build. And they began this good work, and they began this noble work of, of building the wall again. 
And that would have been a great place for the book of Nehemiah to end. But it doesn't. You know, as soon as they put their hands to beginning this good work, it seems like the enemy put his to stop it. I mean, look what it says in verse 19. It says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? They ridiculed and mocked us. You know, friend, when you decide to build something, be ready for opposition. Like, like hear me on this. Like, when you decide to build anything for the glory of God, whether that be a, a godly home, a pure mind, honest character, anything and anyone that opposes God will oppose you. Like, we have to be ready for that opposition. Like, if you think walking with Christ is, is just sunshine and rainbows, like, we got to think again. Like, even Jesus tells his disciples that following him is not going to be comfortable, but it's actually going to be uncomfortable, that, that people are going to hate you. Like, look, look, what, look what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 18. This is, what he, this is what Jesus says. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, the enemies of Nehemiah oppose this work by ridicule and intimidation. Like these two, two forms of opposition, embarrassment and fear, have worked wonders in stopping Christians from doing anything. I mean, the question is, is like, will it stop you? You see, when we face opposition, we can learn a whole lot from how Nehemiah actually handles it. I mean, I mean, look what he says in verse 20. He says, I answered them by saying the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Like, like notice how this, this, this verse starts. In verse 20, he says, I answered them. Like, he didn't shy away from the opposition. He didn't, he didn't try to, like, hide it or cover it up, but he, he confronted it. And his response is like, this is God's work. We are his servants, and this work will be accomplished by the power of God. You know, like, the, the, enemy's, the enemy's intimidation and ridicule did not discourage this good work. But it's moving forward. So I want to ask you the question, what about the good work that the Lord has called you to do? And I'm not just talking about a building project. You know, whether that is loving your spouse, sharing Christ with people, staying pure. Like, are we moving forward? Because, friend, God's will for our life is not always easy, but it's always possible. Like, his will for our life, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Jesus makes this very clear. But it's always possible. It's always possible to take another step. It's always possible to continue to move forward. And as we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. You know, God never commands you to live for his glory without helping you overcome those obstacles that you might face. I mean, like, you could imagine, like, Nehemiah that night touring Jerusalem, walking around the southern part of the city, seeing these walls just destroyed, seeing these, these stones turned to rubble. They're, they're, they're in ruins. You see weeds everywhere. You see rotten wood, gates scorched by fire. Like this mess. Like a lot of us, if we were in Nehemiah's shoes, it would be so easy to take a one-way trip back to Persia. 
Go back to living the high life. But Nehemiah knew that God's hand was on him and strengthening him for the task ahead. And as Christ followers, like, like, like it is Christ that strengthens us and prepares us and, and, and encourages us for the task ahead. You know, as Christ followers, we follow the leadership of Christ. We don't surrender. We don't throw in the towel. We don't give up when we hit opposition. We don't give up when there's hard work ahead of us. But we labor. I mean, I mean look, look what Paul says. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. That labor for the Lord is not in vain. You know, so as we are coming into this season, the, the question we need to ask is, is, what does the Lord have me to do here? Like, like what is my role in my family? Like, what, what is my, my role in my relationships, in, in my work? What does the Lord have me to do here? What does the Lord have me to do in this building project? Because friends, LifePoint should still be here long after you and I are gone. Like LifePoint should still be doing ministry long after you and I have breathed our last breath. So the question is, will we rise? Will we build? Will we push forward with what the Lord has called us to do, even in the midst of opposition that we might face? Like even as Nehemiah was speaking to the people, they knew that they were gonna face opposition. Like they knew that with opportunity, there is often opposition. But they didn't let that stop them. No, they shouted, let us rise, let us build. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we are so grateful for what you have laid before us. Lord, I pray you give us the strength. I pray that we look towards your leadership, your guidance. Lord, let us rise. Let us build. Let, let nothing stop what you have placed on our lives. Let us be motivated. Lord, give us the, the certainty like Nehemiah. Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunities that you have given us. And Lord, we are so grateful for what you've done and what you continue to do. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.